0: Hello America. Happy Monday. It is a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News, where today we're going to pivot for a little bit and talk about what I think is one of the most epic and important issues in America, how our elections are going to be conducted going forward. Will they be like 2020 or worse? Or will they look uh, something more like the Presidential Commission on uh, Election Reform back in 2005 envisioned and what several state legislatures, uh, Georgia in the lead, believe it or not, Arizona in the lead, uh, Texas, Florida coming up uh, soon, and then uh, to be watched, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. There are real things going on in state states. We are covering this almost every day there's a development um, on Just the News. But today we're going to bring in one of the big experts on this, Jessica Anderson, the Executive Director of Her- Heritage Action She and her group have launched a a nationwide effort to work with state legislatures, um, state lawmakers, uh, state officials to take back control of elections at the state level, not have um, courts or the federal government or rogue independent bureaucrats, rogue elected officials try to hijack the system. And so Jessica is going to bring us up to speed. A lot of what you're seeing in Georgia uh, today in Texas Governor Abbott is talking about the legislation moving through his state. There is a a significant effort uh, by these lawmakers who might have been a little bit asleep at the switch, at the changes going on in their state. I think a lot of people feel that way about Arizona, Georgia. Uh, Wisconsin clearly where there's been an important Wisconsin Supreme Court ruling uh, against the sort of procedures that Governor Evers uh, allowed uh, but all that said uh, Jessica is going to bring up the speed and they're also she's also going to tell us how all of these state efforts can be threatened or erased if a bill called HR1 in Congress is passed and a federalization of elections is imposed of the rules of elections imposed. It's not what the founding fathers intended. As you know, the founding fathers intended state legislatures to have that power. We're going to have to wait and see what comes of this, but important uh, discussion on the way in a few minutes with our good friend, Jessica Anderson at heritage action for America. Now, before we get there, we had a really, you know, I love the freedom of information act. I use it often. Uh, both at the federal level. That's how I got all of the Hunter Biden documents, most of the FBI documents that unravel the FBI scandal, the Russia scandal. Um, and we do it a lot at the state level as well. And my good friend, my good colleague, uh, Daniel Payne, was able to do some FOIA work, open records work over the weekend, and I thought came up with one of the most interesting stories of Monday morning, and if you haven't had a chance to read it, I really encourage you to go take a look at it. Uh, These are emails showing that scientists, early on in the COVID um, crisis, and we're talking in February, March timeframe, when no one really knew what was going on in the uh, world, what the China virus really was, where what its origins were in Wuhan, uh, there was a significant effort by uh, professional scientists many of them working with the national institutes of health and dr fauci so people that are dependent on the nih for grant money and funding and relationships and and their science to sanitize and downplay any suggestion that the uh, virus could have been a biological weapons accident uh, something walked out of the wuhan uh, virus institute Uh, as you know uh, a year later There's a growing body of evidence that um, uh, leads us to believe that State Department officials and former experts on this, as well as the Trump administration. And I think from my reporting, even the Biden administration, growing body of evidence, growing concern that this virus may have escaped from the lab, not intentionally, but most likely in an accident or an unintentional way of getting out there. Uh, I think that that's really important. Uh, that we understand the evolution of thinking. But when you go back and you look at what Daniel Payne's uncovered in these emails, uh, which were first turned up by a a good government group, take a look at what was writing. These scientists were trying to hijack the debate, downplay, uh, ignore, excise any discussion that this was anything but a natural evolving virus that occurred in the wild. Uh, Obviously now that debate is open. It's not settled one way or the other, but you heard, uh, Mike Pompeo on our air at Just the News and our television show with David Brody, the Water Cooler, say he thinks there's a strong body of evidence suggesting it was a biological weapons accident. Uh, we had on our site last late last week, uh, former State Department biological weapons expert saying his personal assessment is that this was a virus that escaped the lab, not one that naturally evolved, and gave lots of reasons why. Whatever the case is, scientists are trained to not lock into one-third, to not put blinders on, to remain neutral until all the data, the evidence was there. I think when you read Daniel Payne's story today, you will see that that wasn't necessarily um, the case. And the headline, just in case you're looking for it, it's at the top of the site, but in case you're looking for it, email show scientists scrubbed. Early Warning of Potential Lab Origin of COVID-19. Check it out. The documents are all posted because that's what we do at Just the News. We allow people to go see what we have. We we don't want to make up your mind for you. We want to give you information, let you make up your own mind. We'll give you news, not noise. We'll give you information, not indoctrination. But I think when you read Daniel Payne's story, you'll appreciate the, the thoroughness of the reporting, the importance of the transparency of these documents, really, really important things and um so take a look at that one last thought before we go to the commercial break and when we come back we're going to have jessica anderson from heritage action on board talking about election integrity looking forward leaning into the future 2022 not litigating 2020 anymore going forward but as we do that as these things fall into place there's an interesting dynamic going on between conservatives and the u.s marine corps yeah now historically conservatives have been the party of supporting the military going back to 9-11 even going back to Vietnam War uh going all through history conservatives have been pro-military they still are pro-military today but there was an episode last week involving Tucker Carlson the Fox News host some comments he made about the culture of the military with women serving uh he was addressing what he calls wokeism in the military and the pentagon the Joe Biden pentagon reacted. And then the second expeditionary force, Marine Expeditionary Force, used its official accounts to post a pejorative tweet about uh, Tucker Carlson. And the backlash has been huge, huge among conservatives who normally would be right alongside the second expeditionary force, supporting them, cheering them on. We all, no matter what our political stripe is, appreciate What the U.S. Marines, what uh, our armed forces, the men and women of armed forces do every day for us. But the fear, the concern is that using official accounts to attack, official military accounts to attack a member of the public, a private citizen, Tucker Carlson. Yeah, he's a public figure, but he's a private citizen, is not what the military was for. It's not what should be done Ted Cruz is asking for a meeting with Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary, uh, many other prominent conservatives, uh, Rick Grinnell among them, uh, someone close to um, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy, a whole bunch of people, editors at uh, several conservative publications, The Daily Caller, Human Events, all outraged that the military would use its official accounts to politicize and politically attack a private citizen, not what we intended in America, I'm sure. Now, as that's been going on, and we have that story up in the side, check it out. It's, it's a fun read. You will see the second Marine Expeditionary Force. Well, it updated its uh, tweet over the weekend and apologized for the things it said about um, Tucker Carlson said it was inappropriate, shouldn't have done it. We messed up. I think they said we're going to strive to do better, recalibrate, focus on what we're better at, the battlefield. Uh, but that said, I don't think this issue is going to go away conservatives are starting to get a fear that there's a wokeism a uh, in the u.s military that is politically biased or politically intended and uh, i think this is a battle that's going to play out a lot as we go through the uh, 2021 2022 into the 22 elections keep an eye on what ted cruz let's see if he gets that meeting with lloyd austin we'll let you know all right folks we're going to go to commercial break when we come back Jessica Anderson, the Executive Director of Heritage Action for America, here to talk election integrity, all the things going on in the legislature, and what HR1 might be able to do at the Congress to erase some very important stuff. You need to be informed. Can't wait for you to come back and join me with the one and only Jessica Anderson, right after these commercial breaks.
1: Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply.
0: All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. We've had her on here before and we really love the discussions we're having. We're going to bring her back. Jessica Anderson, the executive director of Heritage Action for America, joins us. Jessica, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, John. Great to be here.
0: So much has happened since the last time we were talking election integrity. I mean, just a month and all of a sudden things are moving. Uh, Why don't you bring us up to speed first off on the exciting um, uh, announcement that Heritage Action had and what you're going to be doing on the election integrity front over the next few months?
1: Absolutely. So I was excited to announce this last week that we are launching a state by state election integrity campaign. And this advocacy initiative focus really is on ensuring our elections are safe, are free, are transparent, and are fair. This is not an easy endeavor, but I think we all recognize, as I know you do, John, that the work at the state level is critical if we're going to get the reforms in place in time for 2022's election. We can't go backwards. We are in a never-forget posture. And so this campaign is going to include both state-based lobbying, issue advocacy campaigns to mobilize the grassroots. We'll have some digital and television advertising, and it's an all hands on deck moment. We need activists all across the country talking to their state legislators, engaging with their governors and their communities about the important reforms that are moving through the state level.
0: And you said it, too. I mean, that's one of the things we learned when we did the election integrity review here at Just the News. The Democrats went to the state level and they got those consent decrees and those uh, settlements and they talked to the Wisconsin Election Commission and they basically changed the rules of the election at the state level. So that's really where the where the action is. As you uh, as you start to dig in, it looks like Georgia is the first one out of the gate uh, and there's a lot of action. And why don't you bring us up to speed of what you're seeing in Georgia? Are you happy with where they're going?
1: I am happy uh, with where they're going. It's always a a little cautious optimism, uh, never hurt anyone, but they are moving (laughs) in the right direction. And the bills that are moving through the Georgia legislature are on both the Senate and House side. So they have passed both their election integrity bills. It's HB 531 and SB 241. And the bills, by and large, touch on a wide range of reforms, but the key parts are, um, it allows additional verification for the accuracy of voting voter rolls. One thing that's really important to me is that it, the, the Senate bill actually bans the private funding of elections. Right. So that gets to the Zuckerberg problem. Zuckerberg money, right? Exactly. The the Zuckbuck, uh, as I to call them. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's good. I got to remember that. Yeah. The, Zuck, the Zuckbuck. The, huh?
1: the bills. Um, the bills also have some. Um, limiting or restrictions around absentee voting, making it, trying to make the absentee process more secure with a voter ID. The state already requires a voter ID to vote in person. This would extend it to absentee. Absentees, right? them Yep, and it's got some good provisions to increase transparency in the election process, including um, allowing election observers complete access to the election process if they can't get kicked out, um, limiting the use of drop boxes drop boxes throughout the state. Um, So time will tell. They are hammering through the process now to get it into one package. Um, My hope is that this will be put on Governor Kemp's desk by the end of the legislative session, which ends on March 31st. So if you're in the state of Georgia and can call your state legislator, I would do that today. Urge that they um, include the best election reforms that are in HBC, and SB231, and you can find all of that on our website, SaveOurElections.com.
0: SaveOurElections.com. That's one worth booking marking. That's, uh, we'll keep an eye on that. That's great, Jessica. Um, there's a little bit of an irony, because as you know, Georgia basically has said, we did everything right in November, and yet they're they're obviously very aggressively changing uh, the laws to address the things that, that, that happened is there an education process i mean you guys have been on the front lines and so you're talking to the state legislatures the committee chairman the leadership of these state legislatures what sort of education process goes on as you try to get these efforts going in each of the states
1: well i think we can all agree that the chaos around the november election is is untenable and it can't be allowed to happen again and so i think the message to a state like georgia there are other states that are moving legislation as well. Um, hopefully later this spring, we look at Arizona, Florida, Texas, they've got packages of bills that will probably be up for votes at the end of April and, and into May. But the message here is, look, do you want to ensure that your state elections are ready for 2022? Fight back against the chaos and the overreach that the left has in trying to rig the system for their benefit and actually have safe and secure elections in place where we can trust them. And voter confidence is key to this because in a state like Georgia, whether you believe that there was fraud in 2018 with Stacey Abrams, or you believe it in 2020, the reality is, is that. You still don't trust the results. That's right. They don't trust the results and it inhibited voters and it kept them home. And that is psychological warfare. I mean, we've talked about this before, John, this is the left playing into this this mindset on the right of, well, if it's rigged, why even bother? Right. And we got to fight back against it. And so it's not just getting the reforms, it's showing transparency around the forms so that voters all across the state know the corrections that were made and can feel like their vote is now safe.
0: Such a good point. And, you know, a lot of the, demagoguery that goes on here is, oh, these bills, in fact, I think the Washington Post, you could tell uh, you're having an effect in the states because the Washington Post wrote a story the other day saying these bills are going to disenfranchise voters. You're not trying to stop any voter from voting. You just want to have the rules in such a way that you ensure the people who are voting are who they say they are and are entitled to vote, really. That's really what this is all about.
1: That's exactly right. And it's important to push back on this effort from the left where they're saying, you know, that this is about voting rights or this is just partisanship at its worst. It's actually not. And if you, if you go back to 2005, former Democrat president Jimmy Carter actually chaired a bipartisan election commission in 2005. This is, you know, before, um, and in the middle of all the hanging chads and the Florida stuff and, and President Carter, studied our election laws, and he concluded that election integrity is critical for our democracy, and he also said that absentee ballots are the largest source of potential voter fraud, and that we need a photo ID in place in every state. That is a Democrat, a Democrat former president saying that as a result of this commission. So this is, this is a bipartisan effort. This should be attractive to all Americans who want to have um, faith and security in our election process.
0: Yeah. And there's no doubt that in fact, that bipartisan commission really had it right. Because if you look at what they warned would be coming down the pike, 2020 was a year that most of their worst fears were realized. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Um, where else? Uh, is, uh, Georgia's got a good jump start. It looks like Arizona over the weekend. Right now, as we're speaking, I see the governor of Texas having a news conference uh, about uh, the election integrity legislation that's going through his state. Uh, what are the next states that you think will burble up? Are Arizona and Texas sort of next on the tarmac?
1: Arizona, Texas, and Florida are Florida. next on the tarmac. Yep, Governor DeSantis has outlined an entire election reform package. And he's working with a representative from Florida now to draft it. I think it'll be introduced within the next week and a half or so. And Florida elections, as we know, because they've made so many changes the last decade, they're already in good shape. And this is just a matter of going further to tighten up the state laws. More and and fine-tuning. These- yeah. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, John, all of this is happening at the state level as these reforms are being tackled. And it's happening at the backdrop of this federal fight with hr1 and s1 trying to be jammed through the senate now and so i think we're going to have to pay close attention to the state-by-state work while also creating a coalition that can oppose hr1 as it moves through the senate
0: yeah, that's a great point. I want to turn to that in a second because um, I've been having a lot of conversations with uh, the leadership in the House and the Senate, Republican side particularly, and they, they, there's some interesting messaging that are going on there that they, they think will will help um, uh, focus attention on the parts of the bill that are, are most objectionable to conservatives. But before we get there, I wanted to go to a couple of other states because Wisconsin uh, and and Michigan and Pennsylvania, obviously part of the Rust Belt, really important states, uh, they all still have Republican legislatures. Wisconsin's had a Supreme Court that recently ruled that the exemption of uh, voter ID, required voter ID for absentee ballots, as it applied to about 200,000 voters in the last section was illegal. That wasn't uh, the Wisconsin government didn't have the right to exempt people. So I want to see if you can take us uh, up to the Midwest now, because we've been working along the Southern border there. we got uh, Georgia, Florida, Texas, all those good States up North. What what are the chances that Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania begin to also follow suit on these uh, reforms? Well, it's going to be,
1: Harder in states like Wisconsin and Michigan because of the, 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 the political uh, reality on the ground with, with Democrat majorities. Pennsylvania is a different story. Pennsylvania has 14 hearings that are running through the state now. I think once they finish the litigation efforts, then they'll be able to turn to this um, at the state house. But we're probably a few months from that, if I'm, if I'm being honest. Wisconsin, though, you know, there is a senator, Senator Strobel, right. who's carrying the election reform package. It's currently in draft mode. Um, and so I think Wisconsin has a real opportunity to lay the marker down on what exactly election law reforms look like in a state. And then they have a litigation route that can come alongside and support the legislation because Wisconsin has good laws on the books that flat out were ignored in November. Yeah, there's, so there's no doubt. Gotta be that's right. There's got to be um, penalty and accountability for those that didn't follow the laws already on the books. But it's going to be a tough state. Republicans do not have a veto proof majority to override the Democrat governor. Democrat governor has said he will not sign anything. So right. there is there is a political opportunity here, I think, to use the reforms um, that Senator Strobel is introducing to lay the marker. To get the coalition and support around them, and then to use it to drive voter turnout for 2022, and push that there is a strong narrative, there's a groundswell and a grassroots effort for support, um, and use that to drive turnout for the 2022 election. So, in some of these states like Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, maybe a little bit of Pennsylvania, certainly Nevada, we're gonna have to play the long game. Things may not get, might not get done. This year or next, and this might be a two, four, six year process as we use the energy around election integrity laws to flip seats and to get the right people in place to be as um, much of a leader on state election reforms as we need them to be like we see in some of these other fast-moving states like Florida or, or Texas
0: today. Yeah, such a great point. And and you're right, uh, because there are Democratic governors in each of those states, even though the Republicans have the legislature, it's hard to get to the veto proof majority Um, in those states, uh, unlike what happened in 2020, where the legislature just kind of let these things happen is there a mentality is there an infrastructure in place that if the if the legislature the republican legislature sees governor evers or governor whitmer uh do something that they believe is in in uh violation of the laws already on the books will those legislatures be in a position to sue pre-election and not allow you know it was very hard to do after election if you sue afterwards in fact some of the courts said you should have sued before if you were concerned uh, do you think there's a preemptive um, uh, legal uh, uh, maneuver, or legal legal system in place for these legislatures to object if a Democratic governor does something that they find is in violation of their own laws?
1: Well, every state is a little different um, in terms of the infrastructure that they have in place. And while I'm not an election attorney, and so I don't want to get too over my Steve, my I've been watching this for a long time now, and my opinion on this is that, yes, they have um, levers that they can pull to ensure the safeguards around an election. And the more they see it, you know, you know, the old saying, see something, say something, right. the more you see it and they actually say something, whether or not they pull that legal le- lever le- lever or not, or they just get on the five o'clock news and start talking about it to drive momentum. All of that helps because it creates an echo chamber of support for these reforms and for safeguards that are very much needed. So, I think the encouragement needs to be that state legislators need to do their job. They need to enforce and use all the tools in their toolbox uh, to enforce the laws on the books and to hold those accountable when they're not.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. One of the things that's fascinating about this dynamic is uh, the popularity, uh, and it's bipartisan popularity, on voter ID and voter integrity. So we did a poll at Just the News about a month ago, two months ago, and 77% of Americans said they supported mandatory voter ID to vote. I think John McLaughlin did one headed north of 80%. This is actually a popular issue, despite all the rhetoric in Washington. People really care about this issue, and there's really no political consequence in pursuing it, right? I mean the American people want this.
1: Over sixty percent of Americans across the country support general reforms to election integrity. And that's even before you get into the nitty gritty of what those reforms are. And right. then the support continues to rise. And so, you know, conservatives are on the side of angels for this because this these are common sense reforms that can be put in place. They they can be a measured approach. And the more we can do this and kind of restore the role of states to safeguard our elections, the more faith we're gonna have as voters in 2022, and the more stability the country is gonna have overall because we're gonna trust the outcome of our election.
0: Yeah, so important, so very important. That trust is really the issue, and we really haven't had much trust since 16. The Democrats were concerned about 16 and 18. Uh, The Republicans concerned about 20. It'd be great if everybody could agree that the system is Trustworthy and and uh, we get beyond this. Um, when we when we look at what's going on at the state level, there's an effort by the Democratic Congress to trump all of these reforms or to take the power to set the rules of the election away from the legislatures and federalize it with H R one one. Uh, tell us what you're seeing on that front. Obviously, H R one already got out of the House since we last talked, but. Um, what do you think is going on there, and what is the messaging that you think the American people need to hear about those two bills?
1: Well, you're spot on, John, that the, the effort from the left right now to federalize our election system through H.R. 1 um, is a real and clear present danger for all of us. I mean, this is Nancy Pelosi's signature piece of legislation. Um, it did pass the House. All but one Democrat voted for it. It now goes to the Senate, where we expect it will be introduced this week. Amy Klobuchar has already indicated that they are close to a final text, and that's all in the lead up to the hearing in the Senate, which will be March 24th, where they'll mark up this bill. So, the end goal of HR 1 um, is very clear, in whether or not all of the provisions stay in it for the Senate bill or not. We don't want, we won't know that until this week, but, but the elements of it, um, that I don't expect to fall out are the, the encouragement for ballot harvesting, false voter registration, duplicate voting, ineligible voting. And then you add in the donor disclosure and the free speech prohibition and you begin to see a trend, a very, very clear trend line where HR one will enable and encourage fraud. And it'll allow it to happen unchecked. And unfortunately, if it's successful and if it finds its way to Biden's desk and he signs it and it's not challenged in the courts, then it will it will supersede all of these great state-based reforms. So when you talk about HR one, it's important to look at the, the, the clear have clarity about what's in it, mandate same day registration. You can find that on page seventy-eight of the bill. It automatically registers an eligible voter. So these are illegal aliens that would automatically be enrolled to vote, period. Amazing. You can find that clearly written on page 47. Wow. It also um, unconstitutionally requires states to restore felons to vote, regardless of what state laws are. You can find that on page 142. I mentioned the pages because we talk about this bill and people look at me like, Jessica, you're crazy. That's not in there. No, yep. no it is. <laughs> It's very clearly written in here, and it's a 600-plus page bill, so it takes time to go through it. But if you pull out those elements, you quickly realize that support for the bill completely falls out. Moderates and independents do not like this. They don't like the idea that the federal government would reach its big hand to cover all of over all of these state laws. And then how they go so far with the federalization of the election and the the ineligible voters and just the complete chaos that we would continue to see at the election level, you can quickly see why this bill is an existential threat, why we must oppose it with all of our might and drive as many calls, you know, grasp true grassroots activism calls, letters, emails, text messages, events, all to our senators to ask them to oppose this bill.
0: Yeah, it's really it's uh, it's a fascinating bill. I've read it a couple times now, and there are just so many changes, and some are subtle. It takes a little bit to appreciate what they're really implying in the in the text of the language. But uh, it is that this would epically change the way Americans vote and, and take a lot of the security uh, provisions that state legislatures have always insisted upon, like voter ID. Uh, that, that's uh, such an important part. Um, I've been talking a lot uh to people on the Hill and also people on the outside. I talked to Newt Gingrich recently. And the, there seems to be a growing consensus that one way to uh, address this bill, make it simple for everyday Americans, is this, I've heard people call it the Soviet-style corrupt politician law, that really what they're trying to do here is create politicians who can um, keep themselves in office uh, in the most corrupt form. As it, sometimes election law can be esoteric, right? It's hard to message As you try Mm -hmm. to sell this to the American people, knowing that when they know the provisions, right, when you measure them up against voter ID, things like that, they care about this. What is the messaging that you're seeing at at, um, Heritage Action that's working, that's resonating with everyday common sense Americans?
1: It's very simple. This isn't the For the People Act. This is for the Corrupt Washington Politicians Act. That is the messaging that works. It resonates deeply. People can automatically understand it. And when you point back to things like, candidates and campaigns can take a second salary from their campaign or there's, I mean, it's crazy, right? Um, Two salaries off of the backs of the American taxpayer. And then HR one goes further to use public funds to create this six to one match on, on political contributions. So, I mean, the, the sheer uh, financial side of this put aside the free speech, the donor disclosure, the voting rights, and you actually look at the finance, this would force the American people to spend millions and millions of dollars to fund the campaigns of political candidates, regardless of their own choice and their own individual ability to donate to a campaign. This puts taxpayer dollars into the bloodstream of political candidates. And so that is why it's for, it's the, for the Corrupt Politicians Act. That is what works when we're talking about this to moderates and independent, and then go a step further with them and talk about the federal overreach, And walking through the sabotage that this bill would do to state voter ID laws and then other state election safeguards that are on the
0: books. Yeah, such a great point. And I think that messaging is important because people are busy and they're trying to get back to life as normal after the COVID pandemic. And it seems as though that that corrupt politicians act uh, messaging does seem to hit a target that people understand Um, Very, very interesting. Now, Jessica, uh, if people want to get involved with what Heritage Action is doing specifically on elections or other things, what's the best way to connect with you, get involved, sign up, do things?
1: Well, we'd love your help and we need your help. This is an all hands on deck moment for the entire conservative movement and anyone that cares about really any issue going forward, because if they rig the rules against our ability to win elections, we won't be fighting on policy really ever. So, you can join the National Coalition if everything is available that I just said today, either at our website, heritageaction.com, or you can go to www.saveourelections.com. Get plugged in on the state effort, get plugged in on the federal effort, and help us fight back and fight back against the federal overreach and then win on some of these state reforms we were talking about today, John.
0: Yeah, such an important uh, debate in America. It's something we're going to cover every day here at Justin News already are, but we really want to stay plugged in. And uh, as these things wind their way through the legislature as maybe some of the first legal challenges come up, uh, Jessica, we want to get you back on and, and uh, keep us up to date. We really appreciate all you're doing on the front lines.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, John, and thank you to everyone for pitching in on this effort. We need it.
0: It's a, It's a big issue. There's no doubt about it. All right, Jessica, have a good one. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day.
1: Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com.
0: All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation we had with Jessica. She really is really able to bring clarity, simplicity to complex issues. She really boils it down to why it matters to you, the common sense American, what's going on in the legislature, what's going on in Congress, why election integrity matters. Important conversation. Uh Really, one of my favorite resources to go to, Heritage Action and um, Jessica, when we're trying to find out what conservatives are working on, what's the next most important issue, uh, and I think you got a good sense of her uh, approach and her clarity of vision, her clarity of message, uh, which is important. Now, we're going to come back tomorrow, and I hope to have a nice scoop for you tomorrow on the Deb Holland front. Yes, that's the Interior Secretary nominee, Joe Biden. Guess what? There are more problems with her paperwork, more problems with her honesty, completeness, accuracy to the Senate uh, confirmation process. We're going to break that in the morning. Check us out at justthenews.com. Now, before we go there, I I grew up in a family of law enforcement. My dad uh, served uh, in blue for 46 plus years after serving in the army during the Vietnam War. My brother, Uh, Was a detective and uh, just recently retired after 25, 28 years in uh, law enforcement service. So my whole family is always worried about security. And uh, every time I get together with dad or my brother, we always marvel at the ingenuity of today's criminal. They are so sophisticated. You can't let your guard down for one minute. You put your credit card in at a gas station and maybe your ATM number gets stolen uh, you, you leave uh, your camera off one time uh, and someone breaks into your home. All of these things are real pressing issues. And one of them that I didn't know about is cybercrime is particularly growing during the pandemic. That's one of the things we've learned. Cybercrime way up during the pandemic. Um, I think 75% is the number I've heard. Well, one of the crimes that scares me more than anything is the ability of a cybercriminal to steal your home title change it sell your house right under from under your feet and my good friends at home title lock they are on the front lines trying to prevent this protect you um it is pretty remarkable and you know this is one of the things that if a cyber criminal got a hold of your title and changed it guess what home insurance isn't going to help you you're going to have to fight this on your own so um the great part about home title lock you sign up for them you know what happens They detect someone tampering with your home title right away. They shut it down. They stop it. You don't have to worry about it. It's on autopilot. You're protected. Now, if you want to learn how to get into that position, how to fortify your home, your mortgage, your title to your home, here's what you do. You go to HomeTitleLock.com and you register your address to see if you're a victim. And you can use the code RADIO, R-A-D-I-O, to receive a 30-day free uh, protection uh, just because you're a Just the News listener, that's what you got to do. Just the News fans, go to hometitlelock.com, put uh, sign up for uh, to see if you're already been victimized. You're going to get 30 free days, and then you're going to have an opportunity to learn more about how the this crime occurs, how you could protect yourself, why you should have Home Title Lock in your arsenal every day protecting yourself. Just like when you cover your hand as you put your ATM Now We all learn how to do that, right? Don't put your ATM number in unless you have your hand covering it so that a secret camera can't steal your pin, Well, home title lock. You got to get that done too. It's like putting your hand over your most valuable um, uh, investment you make in life, your home. Uh, you know, how much more valuable does it get? Protect it. Don't let those cyber criminals uh, get hacking, uh, hacking away. You're going to be alerted the second someone tries to play with your title right from our good friends at Home Title Lock. So I encourage you to do that. I think it's a great investment, a great idea, great peace of mind for a long time for just a few minutes of work. I say, go do it. It's worth it. Take it from uh, a guy who grew up in a household full of cops. Those criminals, they're savvy. They're cunning. You don't want to let them get uh, their hands on their on your home, your home title. All right, folks, that wraps it up for the day. When we come back tomorrow, I think we'll be able to talk about that Deb Holland story. I think we'll have some other news for you, too. We're working on a bunch of good enterprise story. Buckle your seatbelt. A lot going on in America. We're going to keep you up to speed at justthenews.com. And, of course, at John Solomon Reports, the podcast you've been listening to today. All right, God bless you, and God bless this great country, the United States of America, as he has always done. God has always blessed this great country. That's why we're so fortunate to live in the freest of free lands that the world has ever seen. All right, back tomorrow. Until then, have a blessed night.